This morning we're going to read a couple of scriptures together. The first uh, comes from uh, from Hebrews. It's our epistle lesson for this morning. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, if you do have your Bibles, I, I invite you to go ahead and turn uh, to Luke 18. We're going to spend most of our time in teaching in Luke 18 and 19. Uh, and, and we're going to uh, begin by reading, though, uh, two verses from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 24 and 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And then we're going to turn over to our gospel lesson for this morning, uh, Luke chapter 18. We're going to read beginning in verse 31 and then uh, through the beginning of chapter 19 uh, through verse 10 uh, as we see uh, three different sections of, uh, of the gospel narrative coming together uh, in one location. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that, was, uh, that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spat on. And after they flogged, they have flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. But they, that is the twelve disciples, understood nothing about all these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And as he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him uh, to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him glorifying God and all the people when they saw it praised God then Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it a man was there named Zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and was rich he was trying to see who Jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not see because he was short in stature so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble, and they said, He is going to be a guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out 
and save the lost. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me forward of prayer? Gracious God, we do give you thanks and praise for your presence with us and the wisdom that is contained in your holy word. Lord, I ask that you would uh, open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word and your ultimate will, open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then by your grace, I ask, O oh God, that you would open our hands that we would offer grace to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Place matters. Have you ever thought about that? Place matters uh, to you. Place matters to me. Uh, Place has meaning. When you talk about a place or someone being from a place or someone doing something in a place, there's the context of that place that arises forth for us. For example, uh, last summer there was a, a tornado that went through Marshalltown, Iowa. Most of the time, that would mean nothing to me because I'd never been to Iowa. I didn't really know anything about Iowa other than it's flat and there's lots of corn and something about like, like politics, right? Like, there's, like that's, that's the extent of my knowledge of Iowa. I hadn't been there, hadn't planned to go there, really didn't know uh, whether or not I should care about Iowa. But uh, our youth director, Peyton Ruddick, is from Marshalltown, Iowa. So when the tornado went through Marshalltown, Iowa, it had meaning, deep, powerful, profound, potent meaning to him. And because of my relationship with him, it had meaning to me. It had meaning to me because I knew that it affected my friend. And, and, and then place matters e- e- even, even in, in some, some kind of details of, uh, of the stories, right? So I go, I go to, uh, to Marshalltown, Iowa over Thanksgiving break uh, with a group of folks from Covenant. And we do some, uh, some disaster recovery. And the first day we get there, Peyton gives us a tour of the town. And, and you know what happens when someone gives a tour of their place, right? Like, like all their memories. This is where I grew up. I did this there. Uh, th- this is what's significant about my city. Like, like, and and like, like, you just get a little, little, like you get excited to tell people about your place. And he told us, you know, Fisher products come from here. Linux is rooted here. And after the, after the tornado, everybody thought Linux was going to pack it up and head out of town because they lost so much of their campus. But you know what? They chose to stay here, he said, with deep, profound pride in his voice they were loyal to our community they're from here they're of us they're with us and i and i'll never forget the power of place in his voice place matters doesn't it place matters for you it matters for me it matters when we hear a story why does place not matter for us as much when we read the bible it's because we don't know it like we don't we don't get the place We don't know the place, and so we're distanced from it, we're removed from it, so we don't read place into the story of Scripture. But maybe we should uh, take some time to understand the impact of place in the Scripture, and and for us today, for us to understand the impact of place as it comes to the wisdom God has for covenant for us as God's people with regard to how we relate to the community. What does God have for us today about how we should be in relationship 
with the community. And it all starts with place in this scripture for us. I have a map for us. Uh, I, I, I know uh, you don't use maps anymore. Uh, you use your phone. Or you just tell your phone, uh, take me to this place, and then the phone tells you how to get to that place, and you don't ever really look at the map. Uh, do you know my dad still uses a physical map? My kids make fun of him so much because he busts out this paper, and, and it's always out of date. Like, there's always roads that aren't on his map. So this, this is a map. Here's what I really want you to pay attention to. Uh, what I want you to pay attention to in this map is uh, three things. One, the Galilee up on the north end. Okay, this is the Sea of Galilee, and it's also the region called Galilee. Jesus is, uh, his family was from Nazareth in the Galilee. Jesus' his ministry then centers in Capernaum in the Galilee. Jesus spends most of his ministry in the north in Galilee. Very little of his time in ministry is spent anywhere else other than the Galilee. So when you hear him moving anywhere else, as a, as a wise biblical scholar that you all are now, you will now read the scripture and say, wow, he's no longer in the Galilee. What does this mean? And then you will seek out the answer that God has for you. The second thing I want you to see is the south. This southern region is called Judea. And, and it, is, uh, it is where all of the foundational scriptures uh, and stories of the Old Testament root in the promises of God. It also is where Jerusalem is, where uh, both the religious and political capital of Israel is. Uh, this is where David and Solomon reside. This is where uh, the kings are, are raised uh, to, to prominence. There's Bethlehem and Bethany uh, there. And there's also the third thing I want you to notice is Jericho. Jericho is in Judea. And, and, and Jericho is there at the edge of the Jordan River. And, uh, and at the edge of the Jordan River, it is the entrance uh, from, uh, from the, the, the Exodus wilderness into the Promised Land and then through the Judean wilderness into Jerusalem. And so there's these two regions, the Galilee and Judea, and then there is Jericho uh, there on the map for us. Now, I want you to, to hear in this, in this story, uh, verse 35 of chapter 18 of Luke is the very first time in the gospel account of Luke that Jesus does this. It says, he approached Jericho. Nowhere else in the gospel has he gone to Jericho. This is new for us. He has not gone to Jericho. He hasn't spent any time in Jericho. All of his ministry has been in the Galilee, and every once in a while he'll come down for festival season into, uh, into Judea, but he, he, he ventures just into the edges of Samaria sometimes. And so, uh, and so that should spark for us. Something is happening. Pay attention. This is important. Jesus is going to a place he's never been before. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is going to go to a community and build a relationship to a community in a way that that has never taken place. He's never been present there. The gospel's never gone there, right? 
So uh, our ears perk up and we, we start to be attentive to, to, to what's going on here. If we go back to 31, the reason why we read these extra verses beginning in 31 is because I wanted you to see how, uh, how, how Jesus actually foretells why he had to go to Jericho. In verse 31 and following, it says, uh, look, here's what's going to happen. We're about to head to Jerusalem, and everything that's ever been said about the Son of Man is going to be fulfilled. He's going, he, the Son of Man is going to be arrested. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be killed. Then he's going to raise, uh, be raised from the dead on the third day. All of that is, is spoken in just uh, a, few for, a few verses from 31 through 34. Jesus describes what's going to take place, the fulfillment of, of the promise of God is about to take place. So why did he have to go to Jericho? Bible scholars, as, as we are growing to be together, we, we, we know the, the, the name Jericho. Uh, Jericho, something about walls, something about Joshua. You might have heard the songs, you know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Choirs sing it gloriously. Other times you'll, you'll, you'll hear children sing of it. There's, there, there, I think there's a VeggieTales that's really awesome about like walls and Jericho and wall. You know what I'm saying? Like, so uh, do y'all remember this story? Like they walk around the city, they go to sleep. They walk around the city, they go to sleep. You're like, could you do something else during the day? Nope, you're gonna walk around the city and go to sleep. And then seventh day, seven times, trumpet, boom, walls, right? But what is this all about? What is this Jericho story about? This is the first thing that happens as God fulfills his promise of the promised land to God's people. They cross the Jordan River and they enter into the promise and they go through Jericho. Jesus could have gone anywhere. Like if you pull up the map, actually, you, you could see that Jericho is out of his way. He does not have to, Aiden, you're asleep in the back, uh, the map again. He does not have, oh, it's Ben, never mind. A, uh, yeah, there we go. I didn't know who was driving back there. They're both back there. Uh, so, so it's actually out of the way. The typical way for him to get from the Galilee to Jerusalem would have been uh, out through Sychar and then down through Jerusalem. Uh, if, if, they, if they took a longer route through Jericho, you would have to assume that it was with intention. He went there for a purpose. He went out of his way to go there. And when he went out of his way to go there, he told his disciples, I'm going to fulfill a promise. The promises of God will be fulfilled just as they were as the promises of God were fulfilled as they entered into the promised land places have meaning places have meaning we hear Jericho for the first time in the gospel of Luke our ears are, pe are, are peaked and then we remember what God was doing once before he's now doing again for all so what is he doing uh, why, why is he going to, to Jericho? Well, there's, there's two stories about the, the, the beginning of the gospel message of Jesus Christ in Jericho. We read them back to back. Uh, it, it's, a, it's about the blind man on the road, and then it follows with the story of Zacchaeus. Now, you might have heard the blind man on the road story uh, read in isolation. You might have heard the Zacchaeus story. I know you've heard the Zacchaeus story. We little man, we little man was he, climbed up on the sycamore tree to see what he could see, right? Like you, you, everything goes back to children's songs. 
It's all, it's all children's songs. That's how we know, that's how we know the gospel. So, uh, so there's the Zacchaeus story. There's the blind um, uh, beggar on the road story. And these two things come together. And I want us to analyze uh, how are these stories reflective of how Jesus brings the gospel message into a community, ushering in the promise of God for the very first time. The first thing he does is, is, he, is, he is uh, he's open uh, to identify the needs of the community. He, he's not just passing by to pass by. He's not going through for the sake of going through and, and getting to Jerusalem. After all, he's heading to Jerusalem. Why would he stop in Jericho? He could just go on through. But no, he, he, he's, he's, stopping by, he's stopping in. And as he's going to bring the gospel to Jericho, he's identifying the needs that are around him. And the first need would seem so very common, so very uh, everyday and easy to overlook and easy to ignore, but Jesus doesn't ignore it. You see, there's a blind man on the road, and the blind man says, there's a whole bunch of people going by. I could hear, like, all of the, the hustle and bustle of the city. People are gathering together. I know something unique is going on. So he says, hey, buddy, what's going on? I can't see. His buddy says, Jesus of Nazareth is here. Oh, Jesus of Nazareth? Th that means, Jesus of Nazareth means Jesus of the Galilee. Jesus of this other region. The Jesus that, 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 that comes from the north that is not of us, that's not uh, Judean, that's, uh, that's not a part of the political and social power structures of our, uh, of our nation, but, but rather he's from the Galilee. So he says, look, he's coming from the north. This is Jesus of Nazareth. But, but, but the, the, the beggar, the blind beggar, doesn't see it that way. In fact, he flips the whole thing on his head. He then calls out to Jesus and he says, Jesus, son of David, answer me. I also want you to know, if, if we read Luke, Acts all the way through, things like start popping, right? Well, this is the first time since chapter 3 of Luke, that we've heard the phrase, son of David. It wasn't there. And, and when it's in chapter 3, verse 31, it's actually in a genealogy. And it says, Jesus was son of, 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 son of David, blah, 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 blah. Right, like it, it just, just, it's just the genealogy. No one, no one says, verbalizes, acknowledges, claims, son of David. This is the very first time in the Gospel of Luke anyone ever calls Jesus son of David. And that's incredibly significant because that means that he's not associating Jesus as this Galilean, as this person from the north, as this person uh, that doesn't have any standing or stature here in, in this place where we are from. Uh, Jesus is son of David. That means he's son of uh, Bethlehem. He's acknowledging his birth, the incarnation story, and he's acknowledging his, his prophetic fulfillment of that of that one who would sit on the throne of David, the Messiah. He's basically saying, Jesus, the Messiah, the one that is from us and of us, that redeems us. All that is woven into these few words, Jesus, son of David. No one told him to say son of David. And no one gave him those words. 
The blind beggar on the road was the first one in the entire gospel story to verbalize Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, who's come for me. So Jesus is listening, he's looking, he's trying to see what's going on in the community. He's identifying the needs of the community. And as he looks out on the community, he sees someone who is blind. And not only does he see someone who's blind, but, but, he, but he acknowledges that that one who is blind is calling out to me. And so he stops everything. He's, he's walking through these huge crowds and everybody's gathering around because everybody wants to see Jesus. And as they're gathering around, he stops He calls forth the one with need. He invites this blind beggar to stand before him, and he asks a very simple question. Not only does he identify the need, but he he invites himself into the place of fulfilling the need because he says, what can I do for you? Jesus, walking through the community, looking out amongst the people, saying, what can I do for you? For you. How powerful that Jesus identifies the need and and speaks so clearly to it. But he develop he he doesn't just identify the need, he, he builds relationship. He builds relationship. You so you see the blind beggar, the blind beggar says, uh, make me see. Jesus uh, says, your faith, your faith, you called me the son of David. You believe I am the Messiah. Your faith, your faith has made you well. You will see the blind beggar becomes a man of sight. And as a man of, uh, of sight, of new found vision, he then follows Jesus, is now a part of Jesus's company where he will be in continual relationship with Jesus. When Jesus meets a need, the response is to follow. But then there's the second story, the second story that's also uh, showing this way that Jesus is about uh, investing in relationship is the story of Zacchaeus. So he's, he's now walking through town. He healed the blind man. The blind man is now walking with him. So it's Jesus, his disciples, the blind man, and a whole bunch of crowds like following around. Like they're praising God because what Jesus did, just did, healing the blind man. And here is Zacchaeus. Uh, what we know about Zacchaeus He is the chief tax collector of the region. Now, this is incredibly important because Jericho is on a major trade route. And so uh, uh, you charge taxes at the entrance of uh, a nation and on the trade routes. And so he's not just a tax collector in any little city or any minor space. He's a tax collector in one of the wealthiest, most strategic, important locations in all of the nation. And so uh, he's a chief tax collector, and it says he's rich. Other variations of the, of the text, other versions say he's very rich. I'm going to tell you today he's very, very, very rich. Okay, he's like stupid, stupid rich, and he got it in most of the, in most of the awful wrong ways that you could get rich. Okay, so he, he's not, and, and when they say he's very rich, what they also mean, he's very sinful. He's like totally rot in, in, in sin because of the way he's defrauded the community, the way he's oppressed the community uh, and, and imprisoned the community when they weren't able to pay. And so all of this is wrapped up. Like we hear that, that he's a tax collector. We hear he's a chief tax collector. We hear he's very rich. We need to read that he's very, very sinful. But he's a little dude. And as a little dude, he wants to see Jesus 
And so he looks to see Jesus and, uh, and, and, and all of you tall people are standing up in front of him and he can't see. Uh, and so uh, if you're short, you've lived this life. If you're not, you don't know what this is about. Uh, but Zacchaeus knew what it was about, and so he had to figure some things out. So he was creative. He was innovative. Uh, he said, I'm a good climber. I'm going to climb up on this tree. And so he climbed up on the sycamore tree, and Jesus is passing by. Jesus is now entering Jericho. This is the first time he's ever been there. The gospel message is coming to the community. Uh, he's identified a need. He's met a need, and he's developing relationship. And he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he looks at him. And he could have said, uh, sinner, broken, not worth my time. But instead, he looks at Zacchaeus, and he knows the spiritual need that Zacchaeus has. And he calls him down from the tree, and he has just a, a simple word from him. He said, I'm going to your house. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to be with you. Like, I'm not just, just going like, to, like, call you down, give you a high five, say, my name's Jesus, what's your name, Zacchaeus, cool, good to meet you, deuce, like, he's not, like, he's not signing an autograph, he is, he's saying, I'm going to be in your home. I want you to now think of everyone that's been in your home over the last 12 months, particularly those that ate at your table or that spent the night at your house because both of those things are going to happen with Jesus. If they spent the night at your house, if they ate at your table, there's an intimacy there that is irrevocably permanent. And that's what Jesus does with Zacchaeus. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I'm going to go dwell with you. I'm going to build a relationship with you. You don't, you don't really know me. You don't know if you could trust me. But because I'm going to build this relationship with you, I'm going to develop a trust with you that could be powerful. And that's why I'm here to tell you. When you enter into a new community, when you're bringing a gospel message into, uh, in, in, into, into someone's life for the very first time or a community's life for the very first time, it, it always begins in relationship. You identify the need. You build a relationship. You don't stand on a soapbox and say, you're about to all die, uh, come to Jesus. No, you, you say, I want to know you, I want to build a relationship with you, I want to understand your needs, and I'm going to tell you about how my needs have been fulfilled with Jesus, right? How, how, how impressive is this beginning story of the gospel in Jericho for us? Now, the, the version I read today has, has a slight flaw, in it, and I want to acknowledge that I like some other translations better. Uh, in that it helps to break up the story. So, so Jesus calls Zacchaeus down, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house. And then it says, so he came down and welcomed him. I think there should be like a stop, break, paragraph change that happened. He welcomed him in. And now they're at his house. Because later, later in this section, we see that, that he's making proclamations from his house. So there is a location change. There is a place change that's happened. So Jesus develops this relationship with Jesus. Uh, Jesus develops this relationship with Zacchaeus. Now they're present with one another. And things begin to turn in his life in potent ways. Trust begins to form. And when others say, why is he spending this time with this sinner? Z Zacchaeus says, look, my life is changing right now. 
I'm gonna I'm I, I'm become generous. I'm gonna be a better steward. I'm gonna re- reimburse anybody I defrauded four times over. I mean, think of all the ways in which my life is changing because Jesus built a relationship with me. That is the way that Jesus third and finally meets the need. He identifies the need, he develops the relationship, and then he meets the need. He does not leave the blind man blind. He does not leave Zacchaeus in his sin-wrought state. He meets the needs of the community. That's what God is calling you to do. That's what God has called us to do at Covenant. As we entered into this mission field, this region of geography, this place, God brought us here with a purpose in mind. To build relationships with folks, to understand their needs and to meet their needs. And in so doing, lives are changed. Souls are saved, and grace comes into the community. This is how we operate as covenant. This is how God calls you to operate as an individual, carrying the grace of Jesus Christ into every setting in which you go. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I I give you thanks and praise for your word, uh, for the wisdom that's contained therein. And Lord, I I really celebrate... um, uh, the power and potency uh, that that place has in your word and that you're able to to share with us um, uh, all, all that is going on uh, in, in a region and a community and relate it directly to where we are and who we are and what's going on in our midst. Lord, I pray, God, your blessing upon uh, the wisdom that we've received in your word. Lord, help it to change the way we interact with our neighbors Help it to transform the lens in which we see the needs of our community. Lord, help us to meet those needs uh, faithfully day by day, step by step, in every way possible. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.